0: good morning welcome to the show tuesday january the 24th it's very bright very early here in florida it's a little less bright and a little colder back home uh, as we approach this fantastic meeting at cheltenham on saturday we're not quite sure whether it's going to go ahead we are keeping our fingers crossed that temperatures rise during the course of the week with that in mind i've been talking to a whole host of trainers who are hoping to get some of their stable stars out as i welcome lydia hislop to the program lots to cram in today lydia Who would you like to hear from first?
1: Well, sell them to me, Nick.
0: Okay. Um, Ian, one, you've got Gary Moore. Why has he supplemented uh, Editor de Gite for the Clarence House Chase? And does he think the horse has got a chance? And who is his best juvenile at the moment? Ian, two, you've got Jeremy Scott. Is. Saturday's Cleve Hurdle going to tell him whether he's got a Stayers Hurdle contender on his hands or not in the shape of Dashiell Drasher and in three you've got Henry Daly who I found in slightly lugubrious <laughs> form who is bidding for an audacious double with two half brothers one of whom has rattled up a sequence but he doesn't want to go to the Cheltenham Festival with him and he's got some quite strong views on why that's the case who do you want to go with first do you have a special prize? and Bully's special prize is Gay Calloway but I'm saving her for later in the show
1: okay okay good I'm just I was just checking that you actually had one that's one for the kids to enjoy um I think I would like to hear from Gary Moore please
0: here we go I began by asking Gary why he'd supplemented editor Dajit for the Clarence House chase I don't know but you think I might be angled. my brain is angled. I think, because uh, uh, I didn't realise that,
2: that was only half the prize money, because uh, in all the truth, uh, they, they, they were very kind to ring me and tell me that, that they've got it down to a uh, supplementary fee of 2,500 I think it was, they did tell me that it was only half the prize money, so, uh, I stupidly thought it was. Um, Still one seven five or whatever it was, but now it's it's half the prize money. It's still at least they've got it on, I suppose. And uh, I thought it was only, you know, we could be running around for place money. And you get nothing standing in the stable. He's he's getting on in life, so
0: you've only got one opportunity. So I thought we'd just better take our chance, you know? Well, no one's going to say your brain's addled if you turn up and win the race. Do you actually think that's possible?
2: No, I don't. not unless what he did the other day if that wasn't a fluke then he has got every chance but I I I just feel the other day he got an easy lead in front and um apart from Nubra Negra and the other horse falling you know the the rest he was capable of beating should have been capable of beating anyway the only thing was he was going the the way round that he's, he's not keen on and um the ground was softer than what he normally likes, but as horses get older, they make you look bigger fools and anything, so, um, you know, perhaps, you know, like he's he's got better, and his homework was, had always been better than what it ever used to be, so he maybe he he's improved.
0: Uh, maybe th- this family, him and his younger brother Jupiter Dujee. Maybe it's just in their genes that they're there to to, to confound you, Gary. Because clearly the, the the little brother did at Newbury the other day. H- has he settled down a little bit since since then? Yeah,
3: he, ha-
2: he has. He has amazingly, you know. Like because um, we've been kind of frozen for the last ten days here, you know, and. Uh, the training methods have been altered quite a lot. And he's been he's been taking it very well. He's, you know, uh, he's been in amongst the stream where he used to go, because he couldn't go off on his own because there was only one way to go, and that was the way that all the rest of them had to go. So he had to go the same way. And he's been he's been very well behaved. Well, what he didn't do but he completely blew me away, you know, I'm not surprised in all my life, you know, but um, I, I just wonder um, if it was the, the fact he, he enjoys that very soft ground where he got in Newbury and um,
0: he's probably not going to get that HL I wouldn't think and, and you, in the same race you've still got Bo Zenith in there who was disappointing on his, on his run for you at, at Sandown the other day uh, are, are we to believe that he's a lot better than that?
2: well I certainly hope so you know um, his he, he's forming he's in France has is, is now been proved to be very good we bought him. We didn't. We didn't know how good the form was, but it's. it's worked out very well. Um, I can't believe. He, he. I could not believe how bad he ran. Uh, Sand down to build his view because um, his homework didn't show me that he was, you know, very moderate horse. But um, I just hope he, he hadn't quite come to himself, and uh, the time we've had. Now, hopefully, we will see a different horse. He may not. It depends on the ground whether they, either one of them goes to Cheltenham, because there's also the um, hmm. uh, the race at uh, Doncaster. One of them could go there. Otherwise, you know.
0: And you've got Haddex De Zobo in at Doncaster as well. Is is the plan to wheel him out again, get a bit more experience yeah, before uh, the Arkle? I
2: think I think he will. Yeah, I think he will. He really He's very very well the horse. You know, like uh, he handled the track well last time, so he he more likely
0: go there if he can. How good do you think he is? I think he, 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 he kind of
4: almost reminds me a little bit of uh, the horse we had at Ahmed. Mm. And uh, Ollie
2: Harris, he was the first one he, he said that as well, you know. Uh, well, he, he's probably a little bit more sensible where he was because he was a, a bit crazy, you know. But, um, uh, he, 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 you know, he, he's, he's a very, very nice horse and obviously he's very good to jump, which is a...
0: Thing. All right, that was Gary Moore said his brain was addled because he thought it was <laughs> the old money. It's not the old money, it's the new money. You've always got to be wary of the new money, Lydia.
1: <laughs> you have. Um, so because the, uh, the Clarence has been moved from Ascot to Cheltenham we're talking about a different race course different sponsors and we're also talking about um, a race added on to an existing card and therefore you're not going to get if you, you if you put in the same amount of investment you're going to get uh less of a net return so I think it's that is quite difficult I mean the Levy of investment is fairly comparable it's a little bit less than it would have been for Ascot but yes essentially these horses are running for less than they would have been at Ascot, and I'm, I'm sure we'll go into that more in more detail in a, in a, in a while. But it's great to have Editor Najik there after he ran away with the Desert talking just going hard from start to finish. I mean, he was pretty tired by the end of it, and I'm not surprised. Um, and he's off to Cheltenham. He's went on both courses before. And at this stage, he looks to be up against some, um, it looks like to be a much better field actually, with Edwardson and, er- and Ergomen there standing their ground, and Amarillo Sky, um, hopefully still standing his ground. And the editor there to provide some pace, yeah, some
0: some brazen pace as well. And it was interesting because first of all, I say to Gary, well, do you think he's actually got a chance? No, I don't. I think he's got no chance. Well, unless you take Kempton at face value, and it was the wrong way around, and it was on ground softer than he wanted. So there's obviously just something pecking away in his head that the horse is actually beginning to make a bit of a fool of him.
1: You've got, I think he's got to try him in graded company at Cheltenham. I, I was, I, I felt that a, a bit last year, but his, his season tailed off a bit. Um, I think you've got to try it and this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Right,
0: who would you like next?
1: I'd like to hear from Henry Daly. I had a text right at the start of the season from Alistair Dan telling me to watch out for Blenkinsop and he's won four times since. So I very much want to hear from his trainer, please.
0: Yeah, it would be a popular victory as well. He runs; he might run his half-brother Fortescue as well at, at Doncaster. It would be a notable family double for a family that had been with Henry Daly a long time, the Nixons, and Tim Nixon very sadly passed away Last week, and uh, I began by talking to Henry about the impact he'd had on his yard.
5: Since I started, he, he's—I I, think—he is the the last of the of the T. Forster regular owners.
0: So the the last of the of the regulars with Captain Forster, who of course was your your predecessor at Downton, to him, your assistant for for a long time. Um, those orange and green colours, everyone will, everyone will remember a horse running in them, from the the good, the bad to the mad. <laughs>
5: particularly the man unfortunately Paul go west young man but he did remarkable thing tim paulster bought him the mare henry's true love and out of that one mare we've just actually had a count up this morning jane who works with the office and i and um tim had 49 winners three mares from henry's true love to sail by the stars to the last of our line
0: and blenkinson the most recent the most recent edition just the way that he's been winning and, and the ease with which he won last time at, at Newbury and he's in the Ballymore novices hurdle at Cheltenham on Saturday do you think he might end up being the the, the most sparkling tributes to, to Mr. Nixon? I hope so um,
5: he's certainly the most I mean I know he's six now but he's the most precocious of the family so far by a long way um, they, they've never been a, a very early developing family and it would appear that he is he's so far the best. He's certainly the best hurdler so far.
0: So, are you inclined to have a, a crack at this race on Saturday? It looks quite deep.
5: Yeah, it, it's one of those things. We sort of we've got to a stage now because we missed last Saturday at Ascot, the handicap there, um, and I'm conscious that you know you can get weather coming at you again. And he's fit and he's well, and I don't think he's had a particularly hard race yet this season that we ought to be running.
0: And with that in mind, if he does go and win, or run really well. Yeah, the obvious question is do you go for the race of the same name at the festival? I'm not particularly enamoured with
5: the whole festival novices thing. Um, I'm sort of of yeah. the opinion that we can find other races elsewhere, really.
0: Did you did you get bruised by the Hillcrest experience last year?
5: No, nothing to do with Hillcrest, really. just, I just I'm afraid I don't see the, the point in taking on 20, 27 of Mr. Mullins' Mr. Henderson's Mr. Gordon aliens, I think it seems rather pointless.
0: Come on, um, Henry. I'm, tr- I'm trusting people like you to man the barricades. You can't just let them come over and ro- roll you over.
5: Well, I think, I suppose, until the system changes a little, um, we're stuck where we are. How do you mean? I think probably we've got too many horses in too few hands. Not that I'm moaning the likes of Willie and Gordon good luck to them I think it's it's just the way the, the world has developed and I'm not sure it's good for the greater good of our sport
0: would you do anything about it or could you do anything I about it I think
5: it is incredibly hard I mean you could have the possibility of limiting I, I don't know limiting the number of entries per trainer or something I, I, it's such a difficult one for, for brains far greater than mine this one but it is a very, it's a very deep question that needs it needs solving
0: you will be hailed as a great uh, training brain if you manage to get both these half brothers to win big races on the same day for the Nixon family Fortescue's <laughs> in the sky at Doncaster if that goes ahead will you run there
5: I'm a bit nervous about the ground at Doncaster being good um, or oh, rephrase that was good when it went when it was frozen <laughs> so uh, i am a bit nervous about it i would it would make me nervous to run him on on good ground um i think he wants soft good to soft soft ground and Doncaster historically can get a bit quick I, I just hope it doesn't do that
0: all right henry daly there we're we're cheering for the for the nixon family for sure and for for blenkinsop at the weekend fortescue might not run because of the ground being a little bit quick if Doncaster goes ahead Lydia, Henry's thoughts though on Cheltenham. Um, we've heard quite a bit of this the last few days, but I haven't heard anyone quite as resigned to the "what's the point" level. What's the <laughs> point? I, there's just no point in me going there against the 25 Mullinses and the 52 Elliots and the whatever, blah blah. You, you've heard it, but it was very stark that
1: it was. It was. I mean, obviously, Henry Daly could have been e or in another life, but nonetheless, I, I, you know, I do, I do sympathise. The problem is what do you do if they, the way in which horse racing jump racing particularly but there is some echoes in flat racing as well is structured has enabled uh the best talents to be collected in fewer and fewer hands and that that, that does apply to the flat as well but what, what an exacerbating factor i suppose um over jumps is that the um point to pointing particularly in ireland seems to sort The brilliant horses, from the good horses to the from the not very good horses, at a very early stage, and that means that they're they're kind of already identified, and you know fewer and fewer people um, seem to seem to buy them, and then they send them to their trainers, of which you know they they are the usual people, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand his concern, but nonetheless, he's got a very, very good horse in Blenkinsop. He usually has a body of good horses every season. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be very much cheering for, for Blenkinsop.
0: Okay, let's hear from uh, Jeremy Scott now with his grand old stager, Dashel Drasher, who's in the Cleve Hurdle at the weekend.
4: Well, I think this weekend would tell us really... Um we've never tried him over three miles over hurdles uh he was three miles in the many clouds wasn't he over fences looked like he stayed that day but uh it certainly looks the weaker division and from the point of view of Cheltenham which my owners would love to go to um it looks like you're more likely to uh, get some success in in the staying division of uh, over hurdles than you are trying to run around in the either the Ryanair or the um, Gold Cup. And I I was looking
0: scanning right back through this horse's horse's career and it's been a, a long and pretty illustrious one. And his his runs at Cheltenham have been surprisingly few and far between for a horse visibility. Uh, a very impressive victory over over hurdles several years ago, and then then no visit there until last time when he ran an absolute. Corker. It might be that he he's wanted the place all along.
4: But well, I think you know, left-handed, um, you know, requirement to. I mean, I think it suit relatively suits a, a front runner as well, uh, and a requirement to stay, which which in his latter years he does appear to do. Um, so, it, yeah, I think it does actually suit his style of running, and um, I think the the issue has in the past probably been more ground. Um, you know, in that we we didn't want to run him on too quick a ground, and Cheltenham tends to to go that way, doesn't it?
0: That was jeremy Scott Lydia Dashel drasher for the for the Cleve hurdle. Well, he's not a big price uh, and if he if he goes and wins it, he suddenly becomes a player in a a, a rather open division.
1: Yeah, he's got to upgrade his hurdling form to the same level as his chase form. So far, if you look back over his career, he is a better chaser. I mean, he's he's a lovely horse. So he's just just a real, he's one that you always want to side with because he's a proper trier. Um, but yeah, so he needs to upgrade his hurdling form to, to that degree. So the, the potential is there. And I thought he ran... Uh, pretty well behind Marie's Rock, or Mary's Rock, rather, Um, setting a a pace that was steady enough. Uh, So it'll be interesting him stepping up to three miles. He's got to prove that he gets it as well. Um, I know he was second to to Noble Yates, but he was quite one pace in the finish over three mile one at Aintree so he's going to have to prove that he gets home over three miles at Cheltenham but it's the it's the logical place to go you know why not find out in the cleave find out now and then that sets the template for the rest of the season they can decide whether they want to go to Cheltenham at all or whether they'll be thinking about somewhere like Aintree or even somewhere else
0: okay that is this weekend Uh, sorted and settled but one person who will have a keen interest uh, in this weekend is Gay Kellaway because she's set to join forces with Dorset trainer Sid Hosey uh, if all the paperwork goes through you'll be hearing about that in a few moments time and they've got a couple of quite interesting runners at the weekend but Gay contacted me today to talk about a letter that she would had from the BHA telling her that all her debutants whether they be two-year-olds or older horses would have to go to the race course for a stalls test because she had an abnormal percentage of stalls tickets taken. So requests for a horse to go in last during the course of the season. And this is what she had to say.
3: Well, the thing is, we've, we've, we've received a letter, a number of trainers, to say that you've exceeded your uh, percentage of basically unruly horses in the stalls. Every first time horse you run has to go for a stall test. So every, if you have like seven or eight, ten two-year-olds they all have to go for a stores test or any um unraced three-year-olds etc have to go for a stores test before they run you just can't show up and race them and you have to pay to do this and uh, but you have to pay a rider to do it you have to pay someone to drive the horse to the race course and 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 and, and it's diesel and wear and tear and, you and it's just cost again again it's just costing the trainer more money and putting us more under more pressure being a small trainer we can't really afford to keep doing this stuff you know and that's why people are falling out of the game.
0: So the BHA would say what well, hang on a minute gates your, your responsibility to train these horses properly so they're not unruly in the stalls but you would you would say they're not unruly in the stalls
3: No I've been getting late loads but I was unaware I had so many because as you know so big your head down you're working away and and I I'd had a few late loads which because the horse was probably a bit nervous in the stalls that I wanted to get a late load nine times out of ten they' slow out the gates because I've got older horses. I mean, I ran a horse sim recently called Move On Up. It got left four or five times before it ran, and it won the other day because I got a late load. It just it helps, and some people say, well, isn't that an advantage? And you're getting the edge on the other trainers. But you know, if we do that, surely there should be a rule to say, if you're gonna get a late load, like France, you have to go in the wide stall. Look for, say the widest draw would be 20 or 10. You have to go on the widest draw, or you have to pay a fee. So you're aware of it, but not to be suddenly hit by this without getting a, a letter, a warning halfway through the season, which I feel that we should have done, and been more aware of this. And therefore we would have said, oh, hang on a minute, if I keep doing this, I won't be able to put my horses first time out for, get, uh, and go for a stalls test. I just don't think we get aware. And their, their, their argument would be, well, you've had a letter, you've been told, but come on, you know, we're extremely busy and full-on in this business and with the lack of staff and I mean small trainers I just spoke to Charlie McBride this morning he and his wife he's 72 was mucking out about 20 horses I mean this is the way the industry's gone because we have a, a shortage in staff even you know a big trainer in Newmarket has 17 short right of shorter riders and he's the top trainer in Newmarket so you know this is the way the industry is and you are just putting more and more pressure on us you know we want to do the right I'd rather pay a fine than than having to go Constantly, and being a small yard, you're not going to have a lot of runners, so therefore, you're going to make unnecessary trips to go and get your horse to have
0: a stalls test. So, am I right in thinking you thought that this was just for horses that were going up in the stalls or yes. behaving badly in the stalls yes. rather than for horses yes. where you'd asked for a late load? I, I wasn't
3: aware to be it was a late load, otherwise, I wouldn't have done this. It's not stupid, you know. So, I just think we should have been made aware of
0: this. You're always going to get good copy from Gay Calloway, that's for sure. Lydia's with me now. Gay has conceded that there's there's something in the rules that, that she could have read, but she's also suggested that she's misinterpreted that, mistaking horses that get a ticket for going in last with horses who are actually unruly in the stalls, and saying that the workload of small trainers is just, is just huge, and this is just going to be a huge cost and inconvenience to her. Is there a better way this could have been done, do you think?
1: It's interesting. I mean, I I, I think it, it is beholden on the trainers to know the rules of the game that they're playing. So, I mean, that, that, there has to be an element of, of self-responsibility there. Essentially, what the BHA are trying to do is they are trying to achieve a smooth loading process. And that is not something... I mean, we're not very good in Britain at getting our races off on time. Um, and so I would be broadly supportive of any measures to make sure that we do better in that regard. I am very sympathetic to the cost um, and the inconvenience and the difficulty that this is going to result in. Uh, I don't know whether there can be uh, further conversations with Gay and the BHA. I'm not, you know, as I say, I'm broadly supportive of trying to make the whole thing more mm
0: it's it's yeah uh, but i i do i do have sympathy with her i i, I because
1: it's going to be terrible isn't it i, I yeah. can see that that's going to be and it's logistically it's going to be very difficult to achieve yeah absolutely i mean you you can you can feel that you know that that she should have no- known the rules you can have sympathy with the process but you can also have sympathy with the person who's actually going to have to respond to it and that is gay and her owners and staff
0: Lydia in a different area though one we've talked about a lot on this show it seems as though the BHA is marshalling the troops and getting just about everybody across the industry to comment on affordability checks what do you make of this is it a last-ditch attempt big push anyway big drive industry-wide drive to to supposedly raise more awareness
1: there clearly seems to be some collective sense of urgency. I, don't, I, I must. I assume that must have been marshalled by somebody or something. I can't assume it's a coincidence. My question would be: Is who they're talking to? They're probably just talking to themselves. And why now, really? Uh, the uh, white paper, which we thought we might get at various stages during last year, where is that now? Well, you know, there's a recess of Parliament between the 10th and 19th of February. Are we really going to get it this side of that? I suspect not. And then you know it <laughs> might it be even even later than that. There's been some interesting uh, developments in terms of what Paul Scully has said, and he is the member of parliament. He's the parliamentary under secretary of state at the Department for Digital Culture. Media. Well, I've got oh, quick, quick,
0: quick, quick quiz question for you.
1: Hmm?
0: Paul Scully is what number? in the list of gambling ministers to have had responsibility for the for the white paper.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna get this wrong. I'm gonna say five.
0: Oh, you spot on. Bang on. He's the fifth gambling minister. Uh. Since 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 this process began.
1: Bear in mind we've had <laughs> we've had about eighty five chancellors during that time That's as well. True. Forty five, forty five um, prime ministers. But yes. So our, our fifth gambling minister, he's got he's had some interesting thoughts that he's expressed on Twitter. So yes, yeah, So I don't know what the collective uh, urgency is, but there clearly seems to be one. But are they actually reaching the outside world? Um, have you, Did you see that Paul Scully, he's the guest of honour at the Betting Gaming Council AGM? It's drawn some criticism about that from Ronnie Cowan MP. He's the SNP member for Inverclyde. He questions its appropriateness and urged impartiality. And Paul Scully replied um, that he tries to give time to all sides as part of an engagement program. And he he pointed out that he spoke at the Gambling Aware conference last month. And he also had quite an interesting conversation with just a open uh, inverted commas ordinary punter who goes by the name of Samuel the Cat. This this punter was saying was explaining. The uh, difficulties that they'd had um, trying to raise the amount of money that they were allowed to spend uh, betting. Um, by uh, they wanted to raise it from 500 to 600 pounds they claimed uh, and they were pointing out the things that they wanted uh, that the, the 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 bookmaker wanted in exchange I don't know whether it was hyperbole involved it doesn't necessarily have to be I'm not suggesting there was but he this person was talking about three months bank statements a p60 life earnings inheritance and any other jobs that he's got before he'll be considered and Paul Scully interestingly replied I think we can do better than that um which if you take him on on that level, seems to suggest perhaps that he is inclined towards more of a light touch in affordability if we can take his conversation with Samuel the Cat at face value. Of course, the, the problem with, you know, coming out about, about affordability as well, and this was the point that I made last week, that affordability checks are sometimes being conflated with the restrictions that are being placed on non-losing punters. And you know, the two things often get confused Um, and I think in terms of the impact of affordability checks it's going to be very hard to unravel you know I think we can all accept that there's going to be a negative effect on horse racing a negative effect on the the levy but quantifying that is going to be very very difficult because how do you extricate it from the economy how do you extricate it from um, racing's competitiveness and falling field size and you know this sort of rallying of the horsemen by some you know background force it, it, it feels to some degree like a distraction as well they also need to focus on making sure that we have the right volume of races and fixtures uh to make sure that our our product is attractive to the punter to the race goer and can continue to be robust as a sport the day you know the, the the problem isn't just out there you know speaking out into this this void we also do have to look the industry also has to look to itself in order to make improvements.
0: Well, as you know, I am in Florida. Uh, I'm in situ for the Pegasus World Cup this weekend. Cyberknife is the favourite in a a loaded field. It's a, a very deep field, even if it lacks one absolute standout star name. Cyberknife bids to emulate his own side, Gunrunner, who won this under Florent Giroux. Florent joins me now. Uh, this would be quite a double, wouldn't it, uh, Florent? Uh, very happy memories of Gunrunner, first of all.
6: Yes, no, for sure. And uh, it doesn't make me uh, any younger, that's for sure. Wow,
0: come on, it wasn't that long ago. It's just a, it's just, it's just a, a, a great example of, the, of how quickly out of the blocks this horse has been as a sire. And what an amazing impact he's made on the, on the breed. How have you enjoyed riding his stock?
6: Yeah, that's right, uh, Nick, you know, uh, great impact, you know, as a, as a stud right away and uh, did great, you know, first crop with two-year-old and uh, last year his first uh, three-year-old crop uh, did amazing winning a uh, classic race uh, like the prickness and a few great ones uh, with Cyberknife and also another star, uh, Tabor, who you guys will see in a uh, few weeks in, uh, in Saudi. Yeah,
0: yeah. Tabor, Cyberknife, some of the, the really good horses in that in that first classic crop. Does CyberKnife share any of Gunrunner's characteristics? Are they at all similar to Ride?
6: You know what? I would say a little bit, you know, uh, I would say uh, how they uh, develop, you know, uh, physically. I would say Gunrunner was a little more polished mentally. He was a little more forward uh, as a two-year-old and three-year-old, a little more focused. CyberKnife looks like he took a little bit younger, was a little tricky, and looked like he uh, he was taking it more as a game than really his job, to be honest. Uh... And I really felt like he turned the corner, especially uh, in the fall. And uh, I can see him improving a lot uh, since uh, since uh, since the winter.
0: Yeah, that that run in the Breeders' Cup Dirt mar behind a very good horse in Cody's which was was outstanding. You go back and look at it now. Do you think seven times out of ten you might you might have won that race?
6: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I thought I uh, thought I did I thought I did everything right, and the horse uh, also. Uh, we just got run down by a very good uh, horse, a very good miler, and I would say uh, Cody's wish, he uh, was very effective, especially uh, going a flat mile, uh, going a little bit longer. Who knows what would have happened, but uh, going a flat mile, uh, Cody's wish was definitely uh, a little bit superior.
0: Okay, talk us through this Saturday's big field, but your horse has got all the credentials. He's out in stall 10. Is that a problem or not?
6: you know what I would say yes and no uh, the, the turn comes fairly quickly at Pearson Park it's not a big run uh, into the first turn but having the speed uh, most of the speed inside me uh, no one will go head to head together you know some of them are going to break a little bit slower than others and I think uh, coming by the first turn I should find a pretty good uh, good position if my if my horse uh, allow me to, to break well and running
0: Florent, best of luck this weekend. Thank you. The ever-engaging Florent Giroux, who gets the ride on five to two morning line favourite Cyberknife in Saturday's Pegasus World Cup, spoke to Frankie Dettori on the show yesterday. He's going to ride Last Samurai in that for Dwayne Lucas. That would be some story if they could pull that off. He's also on an intriguing entrant in the Grade One Pegasus World Cup Turf, the chief supporting feature over a mile and an eighth. He rides Team Valor's Hurricane Dream, who's been switched from his exploits in Europe to be trained by Graham Motion. And if he just improves a little for the switch, he figures to run a pretty bold race here. This uh, Pegasus World Cup turf will be sponsored for the first time by Qatar Racing, who are also helping us power our coverage of the Pegasus World Cup this year. And this is part of their growing international sponsorship portfolio that also includes some of those great jewels at Ascot on Kipco British Champions Day, and races at the Breeders' Cup. Now, if I wasn't here in Florida, there is no doubt that I would be at Doncaster for the Goffs UK sale of National Hunt foals, weanlings, call them what you will, and breeding stock, really good sale as well. And there's quite a bit to look forward to later in the year at Goffs in Ireland with the rebranding of the Land Rover sale, more of which in a moment as I check in with their Group Chief Executive, Henry Beebe. How are you looking forward to today, first of all, Henry? Henry?
7: Well, you can look forward to the biggest selection of Nashon foals, weanlings, call them what you will, as you say, uh, that we've had at Doncaster, I think ever. Uh, there's 193 of them bred in the purple. We've been very well supported by British breeders, for which we're very grateful. There's a huge crowd looking at them from England and Ireland and a couple from France. Uh, and it's a beautiful, crisp morning, so it is welcome to Sunny Donny.
4: What are
0: the headlines, just as you, as you look at it at this stage? What, what are you What are you feeling today?
7: Well, we're feeling we're feeling as as all auctioneers as the sale gets closer, one one gets quieter, which is a strange thing to do. But so we're cautiously optimistic. We have a very nice bunch of foals. I suppose Walk in the Park is the is the sire of the moment in terms of sales. And you saw that at the Goff's December Nashland sale where they you know, carried all before them. We have a couple here. And then there's a, a, a really strong selection of, of Nashland mares towards the end of the day. The, the Glancing Queen is one that really stands out. So we'd be hopeful of a lively lively trade and looking forward to it.
0: I want to talk to you a little bit about the, the sale that was formerly known as the Land Rover sale. It's been rebranded the Goff's Arkle sale. Uh, you're trying to continue the evolution of what's become one of the, the market leaders in, in in this category. Just tell me a little bit about the, the renaming.
7: Well, the renaming is after the most famous yeah, himself. And in, in, even in polls as recently as the last couple of years, Arkell is still seen as the greatest chaser of all time. He won 27 races, gold cups, was an extraordinary, uh, an amazing thoroughbred uh, that will live on forever. He was sold at Goffs in 1960 to Anne, Duchess of Westminster. Top Draper uh, was the was the winning bidder um, and the rest, as they say, is history. We were looking to continue the evolution of the Land Rover Sale. It now has the largest share of the select store market, uh, so he is the market leader now and it was a natural thing to move it on and it's now called the Golf Arkel Sale in partnership with Defender. So Land Rover Defender still supporting uh, the sale and so that means that in tw- 12 months after the sale at the Punchestown Festival only graduates of the Arkel Sale can run in the Golf Defender bumper with 100,000 euros or one of the richest bumpers on the scene every year. Uh, and the, the, the Defender link up is the fact the vendor of the winner of the previous year's sale, the vendor of the previous year's sale, uh, goes away with a new hard top uh, Defender, which is a wonderful prize and quite unique to goths But the goths Arkel sale has made massive strides in the last number of years. We've been so well supported. Originally, I mean, I think it's 27 years old now, uh, and it's a sale that has evolved and strengthened and got better. And you listen to people like the king himself, David Minton, says the horses just get better and better and better. John Blaheen, one of our major vendors, said it's it's up, up, up every year. And we've evolved from a sale that focused on sharper, earlier, bumper-type horses to now horses in the mould of himself. You know, this is a sale for top-class chasers. Over the last 10 years, it's been the, the leading store sale for Cheltenham Festival winners, and that's because the vendors are sending us a better bunch of their best, and we now have of, uh, the biggest share of the best of any sale every, every
0: year. Uh, and of course, we talk quite a bit on this podcast about the boutique sales. You've got sales at Punchestown that you just mentioned, the National Festival at Aintree, the Tingle Creek at Sandown now.
7: And the Tingle Creek sales our newest edition. It, had, it, had, it made a stunning start. Uh, just um, in, last month in December with a top price of £380,000, excellent facilities, a very proactive team at Sandown and having those boutique sales in association with racing, the Tickle Creek meeting is one of the great meetings of the latter part of the year uh, the Punchestown sale was the original uh, you know, racecourse sale the entry sale has been outstanding and, and had some great results so we've got a great portfolio at the moment and the, the spring sale that's been going since 1962 and has sold grand national winners and gold cup winners so we, we feel that throughout the year we've a, we've a sale for every every horse at every time uh, and the boutique sales are sales that have stood out uh we flirted with with, with holding one of them at yorton through covid which was wonderful uh, and had great strength as well that's where john bond came from so when you've got horses like constitution hill john bond honeysuckle coming out of their sales they are they're working for the vendors who are supporting them in, dr- in their droves but they're working for the purchasers as well because they're ending up in the in the top winners enclosures
0: all right, it's Tuesday, which means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's and I fly back home today, not too far away from where I live, in fact, uh, to Chase More Farm in the south of England to Andrew Burt Black, the co-founder of Betfair and now a, a very significant uh, owner-breeder in the in the uk and he's got an exciting season to to look forward to as well perhaps particularly courtesy of his homebred noble style who would look to be one of godolphin's uh, prime candidates for the 2000 guineas Uh, but i know the the study of breeding a good horse is something that's fascinated you for a long time what what sparked the interest in the first place
7: um
8: when i came to it from the betting angle obviously i i think in many respects um, breeding a horse is a bit like backing a horse um, I mean you go through the same processes you do the same analysis I mean I mean obviously not all the same analysis and I but I think I've always looked at pedigrees anyway as a punter and and so I was naturally drawn to it um, and just just you know the idea of of, of of being a player I think it appealed to me uh, um, you know a long a long time ago
0: when did you first take the plunge what was the what was the first major major point where you 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 dipped a toe into the into the breeding business
2: well
8: the first horses i bred from i claimed um um, i mean i just wanted to start um fairly light um, and just get into it sort of have an easy introduction and i started claiming horses um um, what I thought was sort of decent fillies with reasonable pedigrees, um, I guess fairly early on at Betfair, um, and I was um, I was claiming them and I was racing them and then I send them to Newmarket to breed for them afterwards, and and that was that was my sort of slow introduction, um, and then having bought a sort of a farm and decided to turn it into a stud over over time, I wanted to get the numbers up quickly, so I carried on. Breeding a lot of um, sort of claiming cheap horses and buying cheap horses, but also buying some expensive ones. So I had a sort of mix of sort of horses that it cost me twelve or fifteen thousand, and the horses that it cost me sort of five hundred thousand. Um, and um, just simply because you need to get the numbers up. But it sort of it sort of started from fairly a fairly low base and built from there.
0: Okay. What what are the are the basic tenets you hold to as regards your your mating plans now? you're breeding of horses that you have acquired and learned.
8: Well, I look at, I look at, I look at numbers. So, so I'm a data analyst, really. Um, I mean, I do look at horses and I have an opinion on every horse that I look at, you know, whether I like it or not and what I, what I, what I think about it and what I see, but I've never really considered myself an expert. I think I'm more of a scientist than an artist and I have people around me who I trust to, um, um, effectively develop those opinions for me. So, um, 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 I, I, I just I just look at the data so I, I have I have loads of spreadsheets um, that, that sort of generate certain numbers and I guess the numbers that I look at are things like I might look at inbreeding coefficients that would be a big one for me um, and I would and I might look at um, um, things like Northern Dance of Blood, for example, because he's he's just everywhere. And then you look at other horses, perhaps like Mister Prospector and Danzig, and, 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 and animals like that. Just 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 sort of really searching for sweet spots, accepting that that that, that in a lot of cases you're never going to find a sweet spot. But if you can find one, then that's 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 something to build on.
0: Uh, in terms of uh, where you're at now with the stud w- w- how happy are you uh, have you have you made the progress that you you wanted to and where do you want to go from here
8: yes I'm pretty happy right right at the moment we had an amazing year last year we had an amazing year on the track um you know we bred two two proper um top class horses in in noble style and the zoo um, and two year old horses as well and we had a great year at the sales, and I think a good year at the sales was probably um, a reflection of the fact that we'd had that good year at the track. So, you know, people people had seen, you know, they had clear evidence that we were we were capable of breeding top class horses, and so what we had sold very very well. Um, so um, I couldn't I couldn't have been happier. To be honest with with our year last year, it felt like it had been quite a long time coming, but um, I always felt you know from the start of this that it would be a long time coming so you know you learn your lessons over years you know things progress over a long period of time and i hope that that you know having it felt like we arrived last year and i i hope that we can stay where we
2: are
0: le zoo by zoo star and and um noble style by by kingman two two very different types of horse two two very different pedigrees even though they're both pretty fast and talented and and horses of Group 1 calibre. Tell me a little bit about the, the families involved there and how you chose the stallions concerned.
8: Well, both of them were from a sort of experiment that I, I sort of took on years ago. So I won the um, uh, Queen Mary Royal Ascot with, with, a, with a horse called Ceiling Kitty um, back in 2012, um, and she was by Red Clubs and red clubs was kind of an interesting horse to me he was he was it was physically very interesting i thought he had he had real kind of you know real muscle definition to him and he was also void northern dancer which is not particularly important to me but it was kind of interesting um and he only covered for two years and then and then he died so he left behind about five you know what i would consider proper um proper black type proper group class um um fillies mares and one of those was was sky lantern and i was never going to own her um because she was too well her her owners were never going to let her go but i I basically bought the other four so so i owned the 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 four best red clubs fillies that you know apart from sky lantern and in terms of in terms of time form ratings um and they sort of formed the basis of, of of one particular sort of experiment and i thought that that if i could if I could own those and send those to what I would deem to be sort of the top class dam sires around horses like Pivotal and Shamadal and so on, sort of, you know, well-established, um, um, dam sire stallions, um, then, then that would, that would put me in an interesting place to sort of, you know, layer on top of the sort of, you know, the outbred red clubs, um, um, um something that, 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 just gives you a, you know, a very good producer, um, and And um, um, I got some some very interesting mares out of that, and both of those two came out of that program
0: and If you were to look into the medium term and, and look a- ahead to two thousand and twenty three and you 've got these these fantastic horses who 'll be running in some of the the best group one races that you you 've bred um, give us a, give us a prediction how do you how do you think it'll it 'll be panning out for for the chase Moore graduates
8: Well my prediction is that noble Star will win the two thousand guineas. I don't. I think he should be favourite, just based on on um, um, you know. I mean, there's some fantastic horses out there, obviously, that he's he's, he's going to have to take on. But he is something very special. I mean, when I was selling him, I was thinking, why am I selling this horse? I just know he's going to be a champion. Um, I mean, I mean, I you know, I told everyone here that Eartha Kit would be our first champion broodmare i i I couldn't have believed in her more than i did she she just has it all and he had it all and i look at him as a physical and he's just awesome so so whereas i'm you might look at the zoo and you might say well she's a little bit small and you're not quite quite sure that she has the scope to develop in quite the same way even though she's very fit and has an amazing attitude and i'm sure she will do well i look at him and i just think well he was probably never a two-year-old in the first place um, you know, he's going to be much better as a three-year-old than he was as a two-year-old, you know, provided nothing goes wrong and, and, and everything goes smoothly and, and he'll be a lot more grown up, a lot, a lot more, um, um, you know, I think he was a bit immature last year, a bit of a handful and um, I just think um, um, he's got everything he needs to have and he could, it's entirely possible that he'll go through his career unbeaten as far as I can see.
0: But Thanks so much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks to uh, Burt Black there uh, with some uh, some interesting thoughts He's set for another um, productive season. Lydia, Ralph Cunningham has contacted me on Twitter and he, he sent me a copy of an article in The Economist. Short article, but it's headlined, Horse Racing in Britain is in Deep Trouble. And if you knew nothing about horse racing, it's got a mixture of um, interesting little nuggety points and enough plausibility to to sort of make you make you believe that headline. Um, however, there are some holes in here.
1: There are some d- definite holes. And more than anything, the overarching impression, I think, is, you know, is this a, a sport you would want to invest in? No. Is this a sport you want to go and watch? No. I mean, it's quite, it's quite a, de- a depressing article. It talks about average field size as a measure of health. It talks about um, the horses not running due to rising cost and climate change. It suggests the reason for that. Uh, Points out how prize money has fallen. Horses bred in Britain go abroad. That Charles III has uh, diminished the string that his late mother had of uh racing and she was obviously racing's great champion the percentage of the gambling pie that racing holds has got smaller attendances are down particularly focusing on the first half of 2022 and they've pointed out the cost the concerns of cost of living and animal welfare having an impact on the sport they've also talked about the bha grabbing the reins mm-hmm. um and talking about the getting rid of the the tripart structure again i mean i've said before i i I think this is this is a total myth in two parts. First, the myth that the BHA is actually in charge. The RCA has twice reminded us that it still has to answer to its stakeholders, and the myth that there was some kind of veto before. I mean, if there was a veto, you know, give examples what it was used for and what ideas vetoed then would you pursue now? You know, I just think that this new brave new strategy and a whole new structure is vastly overstated, and it just comes back to as it did before the BHA board making good decisions and actually having the gumption to make decisions. It mentions the whip rule to make it more um, appealing for newcomers. And then it basically concludes that better prize money, Um, is the answer it also assumes that the bha is set to thin out the racing calendar it says it it says in that Mm. well is it because in january when david armstrong was asked he said not necessarily the most important thing is to try and match the race program with the horse population with what the customer and the better is looking for we don't do a good job of that in my opinion if we're able to increase the number of runs per horse even by 0.1 or 0.2 runs per horse we don't need to reduce fixtures at all said david in January, saying that it's not the racecourses, it's the horsemen that are the problem, Um, and the solution is talked about, uh, you know, finding unmerking the world of media rights to racecourses, of course streaming is really where the money is at the moment, and asking for that to be redirected into prize money, then the article concludes, everything will be wonderful in the world of British horse racing.
0: Uh, and I, I sympathise with anyone outside the sport's attempts to try and work out the BHA's governance structure because it's lab, it has been labyrinthine over the years. So I can understand why they've not quite got that hit the nail on the head. Uh, and, and then it, after throwing up various interesting perceived problems with the sport, it then all comes down on, uh, well, we just need the same money as what Dubai, Hong Kong, and America have got. And again... Yes that doesn't really take stock of how their industries work. So if you're going to compare with abroad, you have to do a study of what, what's going on abroad as well as what's going on here.
1: Of course you do. And also the the likelihood of being able to in- achieve the, um, uh, the silver bullet... That 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 they say will be the answer for all of those questions. Of course, I mean, I would also say it's not just prize money. We've got to remember things like integrity, things like infrastructure for the for the customer. There is a there's there's if more money comes into the sport, it shouldn't just be going in one direction. Obviously, it should be helping price money to make sure that the sport is competitive, and over jumps in on a European level and uh, on the flat also primarily on a european level i think it's pie in the sky to think that we can compete with the everest or the dubai world cup or anything like that but we cannot make ourselves more competitive but um yes it was i i, I just wondered i just wondered why it was there really and who had who had generated that article or who had provided the impetus for it
0: well doesn't actually say who'd written it either so no that. it would there you are um can you uh, give us a tip for this afternoon I can't
1: for this afternoon. No. Um, the horse that I was interested in at Dan Royal, I think he's not going to like the the ground there. So if you don't mind, I'm looking ahead to Saturday at mm-hmm. Cheltenham yes, uh, and in, in the hope that it might actually be on. So I'm looking at the, what is currently the twelve ten. this These numbers, these times might move around. It's the Timeform Novices Handicap Chase. And I'm interested in the recent Ludlow winner fire dancer who won very 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 well indeed and has only been put up six pounds in the end he only won by a head but if you watch that race that's not how he won um so i'm very interested in fire dancer currently in the twelve ten at cheltenham on saturday it's the time form novices handicap chase
0: yeah the owner's racing manager will be pleased because this is the first episode so far we haven't mentioned a horse owned by rich Ritchie, uh (laughs) whose name might be monkfish so monkfish 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 um (laughs) Well, that is it for today's show. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back to do it again tomorrow. That was Tuesday, January the 24th. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdare's, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.